Well, 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 well. <laughs> Good morning, church. Look who's got the lapel mic on now. <laughs> I'm so honored and privileged to be before you this morning. And uh, this is unusual, no? I think I'm in the wrong spot. But, uh, but no, I believe God's going to bring a, a word through me this morning, through the stammering, stuttering <laughs> worship director. Everybody happy to be here? Oh my gosh, this is going to be rough. Everybody happy to be here this morning? <laughs> We're on uh, God Transform, still in the Knowing God series. And uh, whenever I hear that word transformation, I immediately think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me this morning? We'll have it here on the screen as well. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Second verse today is 2 Corinthians 3.12. Go ahead and turn 2 Corinthians 3, 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains. When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is... Come on now. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. There's that word again. Transformed. Metamorphed. Into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray again. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak before your elect. I don't take it lightly. Uh, Help me not to say anything stupid, Lord. (laughs) But let this be ministry, Lord. We know that you operate through small things, through small beginnings, through mustard seed faith. I pray that you would open our hearts this morning, that even as I fumble through this, Lord, that you would... Allow our spirits to grab onto it and latch onto it. Let us catch this this morning. Amen. Well, let me get a volunteer real quick. Uh, I have a little demonstration I need. I need someone who's a little bit exuberant, someone who's a little bit... I was going to use Chris on this one. (laughs) Let me use Chris Wilson for this time. (laughs) Sarah's ready to go. Everybody welcome Chris Wilson to the stage. Now... Socially distanced, just stay right there, Mr. Chris. All right, you can face me like we're having a conversation. This is like my first day up here in uh, the PNW at a Presbyterian church as a little Texas boy from a little Pentecostal church. Okay, here's the difference, right? Now, no matter what I say to you, Chris, don't say yes, don't say no, don't smile, don't nod, don't shake your head. And this is hard for him. Look at him already. He's just already kind of like, what's going to happen? <laughs> That's Chris Wilson for you. <laughs> so... Whatever I say to you, don't, don't acknowledge anything, okay? Even that. See, don't do that. Don't do that. All right. Chris, you doing good this morning? Doing good? Everything all right? You uh, uh, 
Happy to be in the house of the Lord today, Chris. Chris, you love Chris Tomlin, right? No? How about, how about your wife, Amy? Your wife, Amy, she's a beautiful, lovely person, isn't she? <laughs> Everyone a hand for Chris. <laughs> That's what it felt like for me the first time when I said, God is good, right? <laughs> so for today, we're going to put on pause. We're going to put on hold, maybe whatever you grew up with. And if you don't mind to just humor a little Texas boy from a little Pentecostal church. If I say something you agree with this morning, you are allowed for this week only to say amen. Can we practice together one time? And if you have some objection to that word or it feels weird coming out of your mouth, you can just say, yep. Can we practice that one time, everybody? Yep. All right, good job. Let's revisit Romans 12 real quick. Yep. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Amen. Amen. Everything I say after this is just going to be reflective of that, an echo of that. Rob, you're the worship director. How do we worship? What's the right way to worship? Do I do this? Do I do this? Sit quietly. What is my true and proper act of worship to present all of me? Whether your hands are in the air or not is besides the point. He has all of me, right? Amen? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. I took a a note, I took a flyer out of Pastor Pete's uh, book and I looked this up in the Greek. Ooh, fancy. (laughs) Stay in your lane, Rob. Do not conform. The word conform in... Uh, the Greek is suskametazeste. Anyone want to try that? <laughs> suskametazeste. Somebody say kazuntite. Suskametazeste. This is the word conform, and it's really interesting because as we read it, the way it reads is that conformity is almost passive, permissive. Conformity is something that, the, the, the way it says it in the Bible is indicating almost a subconscious conformity. Something that happens maybe when we're not thinking about it. Like you wake up one day and you go, oh, I guess I just like golf now. Or, oh, I guess I say that word now. I didn't used to say that before. Conformity is something that happens when our focus is on the physical and not on the spiritual. We start to conform to the pattern, 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 pattern. The patterns we see today are the same. They're not any different. The temptations we see today for the brothers and sisters of the church, they're not any different 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. God transforms. Metamorphosis. God transforms. Transformation is completely different. In the first service, I said it's like you know going from a slug to a butterfly. Obviously, it's not a slug, but that would be a, a wild metamorphosis, wouldn't it? That transformation is radically different. You ever seen a a caterpillar just jump off a ledge and try to take off flying? Just like, kids, you ever seen that? Would that be pretty funny? That would be. But be transformed, yep, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. When something's new, 
It's all shiny. You get any, ever get a, in, you know, something from, buy something from Apple, an Apple product. Their packaging is like insane, right? You're just like, ooh, look how, it's just something nice about that. I just, that's agreeable. It's brand new. But after time, it's not new anymore. We have to renew. Rob, you're already married. Why are you taking Jess on dates on Friday nights? Which I don't do it enough. I'm sorry, babe. But why are you taking your wife on? You're already part of the program, man. <laughs> We're renewing, renewing our relationship. When we come before God in worship, we're renewing our mind. It's new again because we see God. It's just like the angels in the Bible. They bow down before the Lord. They say, holy, holy, holy. They look up for a second and their vision of God is new all over again. They have to fall back down and worship you. Isn't that awesome? Amen? Let's look at this scripture real quick in New Living Translation. Ooh, I'm so excited. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Oh, but Rob, I like the way I think. <laughs> the thoughts I think are my thoughts. I, I, I like them. <laughs> God wants you to think as he thinks, his thoughts, and see things his way. Amen? Amplified. Oh, I got a lot of versions for you. Y'all ready for a lot of versions? Amplified. This is still, we're still Romans 12. I'm not to my first point yet. See how often I get to do this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourself set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Rational, logical, intelligent. That lady just did a cartwheel in worship. That doesn't seem logical. <laughs> that doesn't seem rational. It seems unusual. This, this guy over here almost hit me with a flag one time when we were worshiping around the front, you know, and the guy almost hit me with a flag during worship. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> but whenever we know the full story of transformation, of God, what God is doing in folks' lives, we only see through the glass dimly here, right? But whenever we see what God's doing in people's lives, I think about the lame man who's laying there. Peter and John walk by and the lame guy says, give us some money. Give me some money. I need some money. I need to get some, some Campbell's chicken noodle soup. And, and Peter and John say, we don't have any money. We're in the ministry. <laughs> what we do have, I'll give to you. Get up and walk. And the Bible says he went walking and leaping and praising God. Is that logical? Is that rational? Does that make sense? He just got healed. And now he's running down the street. Ah! Jumping up and down. It makes sense when you see the backstory. Amen? When you see someone down here with their hands in the air and they're worshiping the Lord, they have tears in their eyes or they're kneeling before the Lord or they're even quiet before the Lord. That's logical. That makes sense because of what God has brought us out of. Amen. <laughs> the Message Bible. Last one. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life <laughs> and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. 
Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. We've had the NIV, the nearly inspired version, the RIV, the Rob International version in the message. That's full meal deal right there. But let's get on to the first point here. So God transforms. We become what we behold. Somebody say, we become what we behold. Tap that person next to you and say, you're looking like, tap them, what you're looking at. You're looking like what you're looking at. Whenever I was a young man, I wasn't allowed to watch certain television shows. Anybody else had to endure this sort of thing when you were a boy, when you were a child? My parents were fairly strict. Mom, if you're watching, uh, I'm sorry for everything I say today. Um, oh, pulling back the veil into our family life. But when I was young, I couldn't watch Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, couldn't watch Trolls, Simpsons. But one Saturday morning, when no one was around, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came on, and I kind of went like this. And I just let it play, and what I saw amazed me. It transformed <laughs> It transformed my whole understanding of life. And 30 minutes later, I'm downstairs, and what's a perfectly normal boy has now been transformed, and I'm down here, and I'm kind of doing some of these right here. And my mom, with her prophetic spirit, because she does, it, does have one, she didn't need it to know that I'd been watching something that wasn't on the regular routine, right? <laughs> Something's gone off the rails here. Humans are very impressionable, right? It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much intelligence you have, how much education. What you start to look at, what you start to rub shoulders with, is what you start to look like. I've got a good example here. In the early 2000s, me and my brother, William Jeffrey, he's played electric here before us, for us before. And we, all we listened to was like hardcore rock music. All right? So you think about the early 2000s, hardcore rock music. What do you think our hair looked like? <laughs> I, I brought a picture for you. Let's take a, a peek here. All right, there we go. That's my brother and left me on the right. I got one more picture for you um, of our... Look at that. Wow. <laughs> That was the early 2000s. Yep. We're listening to rock and roll. What did you think we were going to look like? Everything we looked at, everything we listened to, looked and sounded like that. Before that, we just listened to Hailsong and Chris Tomlin. Let's see if we get... There we go. There's some Christian boys. We were saved at one point. Before that, we listened to 90s rap. You know, Christian rap, but still, there we are. And before that, our mommy dressed us. And I got one more, yeah. <laughs> Look at those socks. My wife dressed me today, so. <laughs> if you want to change what you look like, sound like, act like, believe like, feel like, talk like, do like, all you have to do is change what you're looking at. You want to change what you sound like, all you have to do is change what you're listening to. And it is that easy because faith comes by hearing. What are you hearing? This morning, you got an hour less sleep than you normally do and you're still here and you are doing what? Hearing. And that inspires faith because now you're starting to look like what you're looking at. I think of David. 
David goes down. He's taken some Chipotle down to his, his brothers on the front lines. And everybody in Israel, all these trained warriors, really macho dudes, you know, swords, spears, the whole thing. They're all afraid to go meet, you know who, Goliath, right? They're all scared. They're nervous. They're shaking in their boots. He's out there every day running them down. You're dumb. You're not funny. Nobody likes you. Israel has pimples. Israel has cooties. Nobody will go out. And, and so David goes, what's the deal with this? We got to go take this guy out. And they're like, look at the size of him. But David's not looking at the size of Goliath. He's looking at the size of God. His eye level is not here. It's here. Amen. Same with Peter. Peter's in the boat. Jesus goes strolling by on the water. No big deal. And he goes, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, that's me. And Peter goes, if it's you, tell me to go out there. And he says, come on. What does Peter do? He starts to do something miraculous, something nobody in this room has witnessed before, something we would just about fall over if we saw. He begins to walk on water. Why? Because he's looking at Jesus. He's not looking at the problem. He's not looking about at the impossible nature of it. He's looking at Christ. When we look at the size of our issue, the size of our Goliath, they become bigger. When we look at the size of our God, when we sing songs like Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, that's who you are. Think about Elisha. He wakes up in the city. The city surrounded with Syrians overnight. Bang. His servant says, oh no, what are we going to do? They're everywhere. There's no way out. Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. His servant's eyes are open and he sees a host of angels. Elisha says, there are more with us than that are against us. Amen. Oh, this is going to get good this morning. I'm, I'm kind of excited here. Let's unpack David a little bit more. First Samuel 16. Pastors always love that word, unpack, right? I feel like I have to say that now. We're going to unpack this. Pack and unpack, and pastors must always be traveling because they're always unpacking stuff. First Samuel 16, 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. When, see, when God was done with Saul, who the people elected, God didn't elect Saul. The people elected, why? Because he was... The biggest. The Bible says he was a head and shoulders above everyone else. The people saw the template, right? Samuel even saw the template. He's the prophet. He's like the holiest dude around, right? And he sees the template. And he's immediately, God says, I'm done with Saul. So what does Samuel do? He goes out, he starts looking for another Saul. The first guy he sees is Eliab, the biggest guy. <laughs> And he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is his measure. For him used to have a song about the measure of a man. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but... <laughs> Go check it out. It's a good song. Back in the day. Back when I wore those sunglasses and those baggy pants. When David 
When his family is being interviewed and all of his brothers for the next king of Israel, he is out leading worship for a flock of sheep. In fact, think about this. Think about the mayor goes to your family's house when you're a young kid. Or if you're a kid now, then like right now. The mayor or Pastor Pete goes to your house and says, I want you to round up your, all, all, all the siblings, all the kids, bring them in here. And then your family doesn't even call you to the party? <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, the pastor goes to my mom's house and says, round up all your kids. And my mom rounds up everybody except Rob, just like kind of lets him keep playing basketball somewhere. And like, When God is transforming Israel, he's about to bring in a new king. David's not even at the tryouts. He's tending the sheep, and the Bible says he's under a tree regularly sharpening his skill. Everybody say, keep practicing, David. (laughs) He is worshiping in what is his daily job. Oh, Rob, when do we worship? Sunday morning, right? 1045, I'll be there. David is worshiping on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in his menial task. He's, he doesn't have anybody to lead yet. He's not the king yet. He's leading a bunch of sheep. Ever feel like you're leading a bunch of sheep? <laughs> He's just leading a bunch of sheep. And God is transforming his life without him even showing up to the competition. Samuel goes down the row. Eliab. It's really interesting to me because in the very next chapter, 1 Samuel 17... David is bringing, like I said, some chipotle down to his brothers. A chapter before, he's been what? Anointed as king, the next king of Israel. Wow, where's my crown? No, not yet. Where's my cape? Can I get a sword or something? Can I get a javelin? (laughs) Can I get a lance? I'm the king. Back to the field. Because good things take time. God uses time to transform. So, he's still just bringing, he's just bringing food to the battle. He's not, he doesn't even get to fight. It's too little. The Bible doesn't even say, you can look this up, it doesn't say he's the youngest. It says he's the smallest. But God uses small things, amen? So he goes out to the battlefield. And this is really interesting because he was chosen as king over Samuel's first choice, which was who? Eliab, Right? David asked the men, 1 Samuel 17, 26, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him that what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? His own brother is saying, is not recognizing the transformation, right? His own brother is saying, oh, we know what you're good at. You're good for picking fleas off a sheep. (laughs) What are you doing here? Isn't it funny? We transform, we change in our lifetime, don't we? And sometimes it can even be a family member be the first one to say, this isn't who you really are. Well, stay in your lane. This isn't what you're really good at. You're down here talking trash to Goliath. None of us are even 
brave enough to face him. But here's the thing about David. Like I said before, his eyes weren't on the sides of Goliath. They were on God. Why? Because he already had a lion skin and a bear skin on the wall at home. He already had the testing of your faith worketh patience. He already had the test. He already had some victories. You know, church, sometimes all we need to stir up our faith is simply to remember what God has already brought us out of. Rob, things are so bad right now. Pastor Pete, things are so bad. Pray for this, pray for this. But if you look back five, ten years ago, I bet you wouldn't go back. I bet you wouldn't. Because God transforms over time. He uses little things. Here's another interesting little test you can do. When you go home, you turn on Netflix or YouTube, whatever you got going there. It's going to have a little bar probably that says recommended for you. Here, other, our, our viewers also liked this. Viewers of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles also liked Power Rangers. <laughs> Here's a suggestion for you. What does your YouTube suggestion look like? What does Netflix think you like to consume? Because what you're looking at is what you're looking like, right? My Netflix, when I turn it on, the first thing that comes up in that bar is a bunch of kids' shows because we, we try to get Phoenix to stop crying for five minutes every now and again, so we put on a kid's show. So Netflix just thinks I love, yeah, you know, Baby Shark and stuff like that. That's all right. My second point, point is worship transforms. Amen? God removed the veil. So we looked at 2 Corinthians 3 earlier, which was referencing Exodus 34 29. Moses on Mount Sinai. He's meeting with the Lord. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. He was just kind of shiny. He had been in the tannin salon a little bit too long and he had to say, come back, come back, come back over here. No, it's me. It's me. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. One translation even says that radiant beams of light were shooting out of Moses' face when he descended with the Ten Commandments because he had been 40 days with the Lord in the presence of the Lord. The first thing that that spoke to me is that when you're in God's presence, your very countenance starts to change, right? Whoa, that guy looks kind of different now. He he talks kind of funny. He acts a little different now. The longer Moses was in the presence of God, the way he looked even changed. He went back and he put a veil on. The Bible is really a story of two Adams and two veils. And this is the first one, the one Moses is wearing right now. Pastor Pete, we sat around and we talked for a while. What does this veil mean? Why did he have to put on the veil? First thing we said, well, the other Israelites, they were afraid to even come near him, right? They were like, that looks foreign. 
That's different. Secondly, Pastor Pete, we started saying, maybe it's he was trying to keep the glory of God on his face. It also looked for a second like he was, didn't want folks to know how long it had been since he was with God because as the days went by, the glory began to what? Fade. He began to look just like a, a normal man again, flesh. Those that pursue the things of the flesh, the interests are in the flesh. Those that pursue the spirit are renewed by the spirit. His face was shining. He put the veil on. The most likely meaning is summarized very well in the ESV study Bible. It says, unlike the ministry of Moses, which was limited, impermanent, veiled, and lacking transformative power, Paul's new covenant ministry is characterized by an all-surpassing, permanent, unveiled, transformative glory that is mediated by the Spirit of the Lord. Moses had a remarkable encounter with the presence of God, but the new covenant believers, us, experience is even more astoundingly complete. I think of the second veil, the first veil Moses is wearing. But when he goes in the presence of the Lord, the veil comes off. Second veil, four inches thick around the Holy of Holies. Just a few chapters later that the Lord tells him exactly how to build. This is the one place on earth that the Spirit of God comes in contact with the natural, right? This one place, Holy of Holies, special priests can only go in one day a year. Anybody else goes in, they die. This is the one place Holy of Holies is. Matthew 27 talks about when the Lord, when Jesus on the cross died, he let out a loud groan. He said, it is finished. And that veil was what? Torn. And the Spirit of God left that place, covered the entire earth and every heart that would receive him. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that crazy how he was doing that all the way back in Exodus? Symbolically. Moses with a veil over his face. I just thought, that is so cool. And then the Holy of Holies, the veil is rent, and God left never to live exclusively in a house made by human hands. He lives in, in, in you and me. He lives in our hearts. That's why he judges the intents of the heart. God removed the separation of the veil when he put us in right standing with him through Jesus Christ. Sin made worship really lame. Um, if you've ever looked back in the Old Testament, you know they have to bring a goat in. The goat probably didn't want to come. They have to bring a stinky goat in, or a sheep, or what have you, and then they would kill it. Can you imagine if we still had to do that? That'd be awkward. I mean, that would not be fun. Like, Monday morning looks totally different for a church staff if you have to clean up goat, dead goat, <laughs> out of the pulpit. Not fun. Not cool. But Christ made worship complete when he removed the veil. Therefore, we come boldly to obtain mercy. When Phoenix comes into my room, she just pushes the door open. She don't even knock. Phoenix is my two-year-old daughter. <laughs> she comes toddling in. She doesn't even knock. Now, my electrician, that would be weird. My general contractor, that would be weird. My mailman, even friends. If I'm just sitting on the couch watching my recommended baby shows on Netflix and just a friend came busting in, 
if Brian Hull just came through the front door? Weird. Odd. But Phoenix, she's my daughter. She's my heir. She can come in boldly whenever she wants to, right? At least for now. When she gets a little bigger, maybe that changes, but... God moved out of the Holy of Holies and into our hearts. My third point, my first point, remember, was what you're looking at is what you're looking like. My second point is God removed the veil. Now when we worship, we're going to have a bit of an elongated worship service here at the end. We're going to have the opportunity to take part of that. Just worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, presenting all of ourselves my third point is PDA. <laughs> PDA. Pastor's like, where is this going? <laughs> public disp- display of affection. Have you ever been in public? you ever been in McDonald's? And a couple, maybe they're together. They embrace for like a little bit too long. <laughs> Especially during like COVID time, that would be awkward, no? That would be unusual. He's like, okay, this is like going on for a bit now. (laughs) But what if you were in, not a McDonald's, but say you're in an airport terminal. Terminal. (laughs) And one of them was wearing fatigues. And the other came running with tears. You don't know the full backstory, do we? Whenever we judge somebody in worship or in life? What if someone was in a hospital wing? Pastor Pete and all the staff, we got to sit and talk about this this week. Would you judge somebody in a, in a hospital wing? One of them is wearing scrubs or one of them is even in you know, a gown, hooked up to an IV, given a long embrace? Would you say, ooh, yuck, <laughs> disgusting? No. You see more of this story. When you see someone down here on their knees or weeping or dancing before the Lord, you say, ooh, that's a bit much. (laughs) You don't know what that person's been forgiven of, what they've been brought out of, where they are at in that transformation that God's doing in them. Amen? We can also be judgy of people in worship whenever we say, they're not really doing enough. (laughs) God sees the heart. I remember another story. Before I get to it, I'm going to say something else. (laughs) What if someone had been ill for 12 years with an issue of blood and had the gall to reach out and touch just the hem of his garment? What if someone in our church was crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And we're going, shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. Live stream's on. We're live in 11 countries. (laughs) What if a woman comes in and worships by washing washing Jesus' feet with her hair? What do the disciples do? Again, that's a bit much. What if she's of ill repute but gives everything she has in worship? Who are we to judge? I think of another story where it's described a man, a Pharisee, looking up to heaven saying, thank God I'm forgiven. And I'm not like this guy over here. I'm not like this sinner. 
And this guy here, it says that his head was bowed. And all he can say in worship is, God, forgive me, a sinner. The Bible describes again David, and talk about David again, the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem, returning. And David dances with all of his might. Have you ever danced with all of your might? Somebody put your hand in the air if you've danced with all of your might, even one time. <laughs> Think about, I mean, dancing, though, with like all of your might. All right, what does that even look like? That sounds like I'd probably pull something or tear something or dislocate something. The Bible describes David as dancing with all of his might. Again, a family member, someone close to him says, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of even the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Who said that? Remember? His own wife. The presence of God is coming in. Someone starts dancing. Someone starts doing something you're not comfortable with in worship or even in their life because something's being transformed and changed. And we go, wow, that was a bit much. My last point, (laughs) my third point was PDA. Public display of affection. And just to cap that off, whenever we worship here at Maple Valley Church, we're not pursuing necessarily everybody just dance with all of your might or everyone just sit quietly and don't sit. we're pursuing freedom in worship right freedom to do as god directs your own heart he who has been forgiven much loves much For, uh, my fourth and final point is that god transforms and good things take time <laughs> Good things, I always tell my wife that good things take time, and that's why I'm always late. She doesn't think it's as funny as you do, but Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. My daughter, Phoenix, I'm using her a lot today. She's two, and she really likes yogurt. She can't say yogurt. She can only say og. Everybody say og. She can't say yogurt. But she knows morning time is daddy time. Mommy is pregnant and might have a little morning sickness. So daddy's taking over in the morning. And we're going to have og. And as soon as she sees that high chair, she knows it's og time, baby. It's happening. So I put her in there. The moment her diaper hits the seat, she starts going og, og, og. Daddy, Daddy, oak, 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 oak. She'll cry. She'll literally cry. I'm about to whip it up. It takes a second to get it out of the fridge and put it together. But she'll literally cry. Right, Jess? (laughs) Making me look like a liar. Aren't we that way with God sometimes? (laughs) Transformation takes time, but still we're saying, God, healing, healing, now, 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 God, now, God, please, God, now. God, no addiction, no more addiction. 
No, now, done, now, now, now. It took me 11 years to build this addiction, but I want it done now, now, now. God, my sister, she's still doing that thing. Oh, it's, it's so embarrassing. She's going to hurt herself. She's going to, God, now, now, fix it, fix it. Good things take time. Transformation takes time. We have to take some of the immediacy out of that word transformation. I grew up Pentecostal. A lot of what I grew up believing, just from what I was seeing, was you go down to the altar, boom, something changes. <laughs> Everything's different. Some of that's true. God does operate that way, but he also knows that lasting change generally takes time. We live in society of immediacy. We live in a right now society. Fast food, fast credit check, push button, get mortgage. We'll have your pizza to you in 30 minutes or it's free. You don't think that I have enough time? Like, I can't see that far ahead. I'm going to be hungry in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> I can plan a pizza 90 minutes out, okay? <laughs> but we live in this society of like, right now, right now, right now. But real lasting change takes time. They say that 70%, over 70% of folks who win the lottery are broke shortly thereafter. Many of them fall bankruptcy. Why? There's no actual education. There's no patience to actually learn principles of wealth, asset management. Just handed $12 million. And then it's gone. Lasting change, transformation that God does generally takes time. Are we going to be patient with him? Are we going to still keep listening to what he's telling us? Are we going to give up? Sometimes God moves slow. God grows weeds seemingly overnight. <laughs> but he takes decades to grow an oak tree. He takes decades to grow an oak tree. What is he growing in you this morning? The Bible says he's going to be faithful to complete that work. God doesn't just use love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He also uses struggle, turmoil, boredom, disillusionment. God, can you use this? Can you use this? What if transformation doesn't always feel like progress? You know, we all, I have this picture in my mind of transformation just looks like this, right? And now I'm up here and everything's perfect. <laughs> I did it. A lot of times it's like, take a left at Albuquerque. Think about Moses again. He had a very, very quick transformation when he was a baby in a basket. He goes from being a slave, child of a slave, to the highest level of society like that. He's picked up and becomes a prince of Egypt. Wow, Egypt. Slave child, boom, prince of Egypt. All of a sudden now he's getting that royalty nutrition. He's getting a royalty education. He's got royalty lacrosse team he has to then make. Well, 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 well. <laughs> Good morning, church. Look who's got the lapel mic on now. <laughs> 
I'm so honored and privileged to be before you this morning. And uh, this is unusual, no? I think I'm in the wrong spot. But, uh, but no, I believe God's going to bring a, a word through me this morning, through the stammering, stuttering <laughs> worship director. Everybody happy to be here? Oh my gosh, this is going to be rough. Everybody happy to be here this morning? <laughs> We're on uh, God Transforms, still in the Knowing God series. And uh, whenever I hear that word transformation, I immediately think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me this morning? We'll have it here on the screen as well. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Second verse today is 2 Corinthians 3.12. You can go ahead and turn 2 Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains. When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is... Come on now. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. There's that word again. Transformed metamorphed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit let's pray again father thank you so much for this opportunity to speak before your elect I don't take it lightly uh help me not to say anything stupid Lord (laughs) but let this be ministry Lord we know that you operate through small things through small beginnings through mustard seed faith I pray that you would open our hearts this morning, that even as I fumble through this, Lord, that you would allow our spirits to grab onto it and latch onto it. Let us catch this this morning. Amen. Well, let me get a volunteer real quick. Uh, I have a little demonstration I need. I need someone who's a little bit exuberant, someone who's a little bit... (laughs) I was going to use Chris on this one. (laughs) Let me use Chris Wilson for this time. <laughs> Sarah's ready to go. Everybody welcome Chris Wilson to the stage. Now, socially distance, just stay right there, Mr. Chris. All right, you can face me like we're having a conversation. This is like my first day up here in uh, the PNW at a Presbyterian church as a little Texas boy from a little Pentecostal church. Okay, here's the difference, right? Now, no matter what I say to you, Chris, don't say yes, don't say no. Don't smile, don't nod, don't shake your head. And this is hard for him. Look at him already. He's just already kind of like, what's going to happen? <laughs> That's Chris Wilson for you. <laughs> so whatever I say to you, don't, don't acknowledge anything, okay? Even that. See, don't do that. Don't do that. All right. Chris, you doing good this morning? Doing good? Everything all right? You uh, uh, happy to be in the house of the Lord today, Chris? Chris, you love Chris Tomlin, right? No? How about, how about your wife, Amy? 
Your wife, Amy, she's a beautiful, lovely person, isn't she? <laughs> Everyone a hand for Chris. <laughs> That's what it felt like for me the first time when I said, God is good, right? <laughs> so for today, we're going to put on pause. We're going to put on hold, maybe whatever you grew up with. And if you don't mind to just humor a little Texas boy from a little Pentecostal church. If I say something you agree with this morning, you are allowed for this week only to say amen. Can we practice together one time? And if you have some objection to that word or it feels weird coming out of your mouth, you can just say, yep. Can we practice that one time, everybody? Yep. All right, good job. Let's revisit Romans 12 real quick. Yep. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Amen. Amen. Everything I say after this is just going to be reflective of that, an echo of that. Rob, you're the worship director. How do we worship? What's the right way to worship? Do I do this? Do I do this? Sit quietly. What is my true and proper act of worship to present all of me? Whether your hands are in the air or not is besides the point. He has all of me, right? Amen? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. I took a a note, I took a flyer out of Pastor Pete's uh, book and I looked this up in the Greek. Ooh, fancy. (laughs) Stay in your lane, Rob. Do not conform. The word conform in uh, the Greek is suskametazeste. Anyone want to try that? <laughs> suskametazeste. Somebody say kazuntite. Suskametazeste. This is the word conform, and it's really interesting because as we read it, the way it reads is that conformity is almost passive, permissive. Conformity is something that, the, the, the way it says it in the Bible is indicating almost a subconscious conformity. Something that happens maybe when we're not thinking about it. Like you wake up one day and you go, oh, I guess I just like golf now. Or, oh, I guess I say that word now. I didn't used to say that before. Conformity is something that happens when our focus is on the physical and not on the spiritual. We start to conform to the pattern, 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 pattern. The patterns we see today are the same. They're not any different. The temptations we see today for the brothers and sisters of the church, they're not any different 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. God transforms. Metamorphosis. God transforms. Transformation is completely different. In the first service, I said it's like you know going from a slug to a butterfly. Obviously, it's not a slug, but that would be a, a wild metamorphosis, wouldn't it? That transformation is radically different. You ever seen a a caterpillar just jump off a ledge and try to take off flying? Just like, kids, you ever seen that? Would that be pretty funny? That would be. But be transformed, yep, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. When something's new, it's all shiny. You get any, ever get it in, you know, something from, buy something from Apple? An Apple product, their packaging is like insane, right? 
you're just like, ooh, look how, it's just something nice about that. I just, that's agreeable. It's brand new. But after time, it's not new anymore. We have to renew. Rob, you're already married. Why are you taking Jess on dates on Friday nights? Which I don't do enough. I'm sorry, babe. But why are you taking your wife on? You're already part of the program, man. (laughs) We're renewing, renewing our relationship. When we come before God in worship, we're renewing our mind. It's new again because we see God. It's just like the angels in the Bible. They bow down before the Lord. They say, holy, holy, holy. They look up for a second. And their vision of God is new all over again. They have to fall back down and worship you. Isn't that awesome? Amen? Let's look at this scripture real quick in New Living Translation. Ooh, I'm so excited. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Oh, but Rob, I like the way I think. (laughs) The thoughts I think are my thoughts. I I like them. (laughs) God wants you to think as he thinks, his thoughts, and see things his way. Amen? Amplified. Oh, I got a lot of versions for you. Y'all ready for a lot of versions? Amplified. This is still, we're still Romans 12. I'm not to my first point yet. See how often I get to do this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourself set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Rational, logical, intelligent. That lady just did a cartwheel in worship. That doesn't seem logical. (laughs) That doesn't seem rational. It seems unusual. This, This guy over here almost hit me with a flag one time when we were worshiping around the front, you know, and the guy almost hit me with a flag during worship. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> but whenever we know the full story of transformation, of God, what God is doing in folks' lives, we only see through a glass dimly here, right? But whenever we see what God's doing in people's lives, I think about the lame man who's laying there. Peter and John walk by and the lame guy says, give us some money. Give me some money. I need some money. I need to get some, some Campbell's chicken noodle soup. And, and Peter and John say, we don't have any money. We're in the ministry. <laughs> what we do have, I'll give to you. Get up and walk. And the Bible says he went walking and leaping and praising God. Is that logical? Is that rational? Does that make sense? He just got healed. And now he's running down the street. Ah! Jumping up and down. It makes sense when you see the backstory. Amen? When you see someone down here with their hands in the air and they're worshiping the Lord, they have tears in their eyes or they're kneeling before the Lord or they're even quiet before the Lord. That's logical. That makes sense because of what God has brought us out of. Amen. (laughs) The Message Bible. Last one. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life (laughs) and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. We've had, we've had the NIV, the nearly inspired version. 
the RIV, the Rob International Version, and the message. That's full meal deal right there. But let's get on to the first point here. So God transforms. We become what we behold. Somebody say, we become what we behold. Tap that person next to you and say, you're looking like, tap them, what you're looking at. You're looking like what you're looking at. Whenever I was a young man, I wasn't allowed to watch certain television shows. Anybody else had to endure this sort of thing when you were a boy, when you were a child? My parents were fairly strict. Mom, if you're watching, uh, I'm sorry for everything I say today. Um, Oh, pulling back the veil into our family life. But when I was young, I couldn't watch Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, couldn't watch Trolls, Simpsons. But one Saturday morning, when no one was around, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came on, and I kind of went like this. And I just let it play, and what I saw amazed me. It transformed <laughs> It transformed my whole understanding of life. And 30 minutes later, I'm downstairs, and what's a perfectly normal boy has now been transformed, and I'm down here, and I'm kind of doing some of these right here. And my mom, with her prophetic spirit, because she does, it, does have one, she didn't need it to know that I'd been watching something that wasn't on the regular routine, right? Something's gone off the rails here. Humans are very impressionable, right? It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much intelligence you have, how much education. What you start to look at, what you start to rub shoulders with, is what you start to look like. I've got a good example here. In the early 2000s, me and my brother, William Jeffrey, he's played electric here before us, for us before. And we, all we listened to was like hardcore rock music. All right? So you think about the early 2000s, hardcore rock music. What do you think our hair looked like? I, I brought a picture for you. Let's take a, a peek here. Oh, all right. There we go. That's my brother and left me on the right. I got one more picture for you. Um, of our, look at that. Wow. <laughs> That was the early 2000s. Yep. We're listening to rock and roll. What did you think we were going to look like? Everything we looked at, everything we listened to, looked and sounded like that. Before that, we just listened to Hailsong and Chris Tomlin. Let's see if we get... There we go. There's some Christian boys. We were saved at one point. Before that, we listened to 90s rap. You know, Christian rap, but still, there we are. And before that, our mommy dressed us. And I got one more, yeah. <laughs> Look at those socks. My wife dressed me today, so. <laughs> if you want to change what you look like, sound like, act like, believe like, feel like, talk like, do like, all you have to do is change what you're looking at. You want to change what you sound like, all you have to do is change what you're listening to. And it is that easy because faith comes by hearing. What are you hearing? This morning, you got an hour less sleep than you normally do and you're still here and you are doing what? Hearing. And that inspires faith because now you're starting to look like what you're looking at. I think of David. David goes down. He's taken some Chipotle down to his, his brothers on the front lines and everybody in Israel, all these trained warriors, 
really macho dudes, you know, swords, spears, the whole thing. They're all afraid to go meet, you know who, Goliath, right? They're all scared. They're nervous. They're shaking in their boots. He's out there every day running them down. You're dumb. You're not funny. Nobody likes you. Israel has pimples. Israel has cooties. Nobody will go out. And, and so David goes, what's the deal with this? We got to go take this guy out. And they're like, look at the size of him. But David's not looking at the size of Goliath. He's looking at the size of God. His eye level is not here. It's here. Amen. Amen. Same with Peter. Peter's in the boat. Jesus goes strolling by on the water. No big deal. And he goes, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, that's me. And Peter goes, if it's you, tell me to go out there. And he says, come on. What does Peter do? He starts to do something miraculous, something nobody in this room has witnessed before, something we would just about fall over if we saw. He begins to walk on water. Why? Because he's looking at Jesus. He's not looking at the problem. He's not looking about at the impossible nature of it. He's looking at Christ. When we look at the size of our issue, the size of our Goliath, they become bigger. When we look at the size of our God, when we sing songs like Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, that's who you are. Think about Elisha. He wakes up in the city. The city surrounded with Syrians overnight. Bang. His servant says, oh no, what are we going to do? They're everywhere. There's no way out. Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. His servant's eyes are open and he sees a host of angels. Elisha says, there are more with us than that are against us. Amen. Oh, this is going to get good this morning. I'm, I'm kind of excited here. Let's unpack David a little bit more. First Samuel 16. Pastors always love that word unpack, right? I feel like I have to say that now. We're going to unpack this. Pack and unpack and pastors must always be traveling because they're always unpacking stuff. First Samuel 16, 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. When, see, when God was done with Saul, who the people elected, God didn't elect Saul. The people elected, why? Because he was the biggest. The Bible says he was a head and shoulders above everyone else. The people saw the template, right? Samuel even saw the template. He's the prophet. He's like the holiest dude around, right? And he sees the template and he's immediately, God says, I'm done with Saul. So what does Samuel do? He goes out, he starts looking for another Saul. The first guy he sees is Eliab, the biggest guy, <laughs> And he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is his measure. For him used to have a song about the measure of a man. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but... <laughs> Go check it out. It's a good song. Back in the day. Back when I wore those sunglasses and those baggy pants. When David, when his family is being interviewed and all of his brothers for the next king of Israel, he is out leading worship for a flock of sheep. 
In fact, think about this. Think about the mayor goes to your family's house when you're a young kid. Or if you're a kid now, then like right now. The mayor or Pastor Pete goes to your house and says, I want you to round up your, all, all, all the siblings, all the kids, bring them in here. And then your family doesn't even call you to the party? <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, the pastor goes to my mom's house and says, round up all your kids. And my mom rounds up everybody except Rob, just like kind of lets him keep playing basketball somewhere. And like, When God is transforming Israel, he's about to bring in a new king. David's not even at the tryouts. He's tending the sheep, and the Bible says he's under a tree regularly sharpening his skill. Everybody say, keep practicing, David. (laughs) He is worshiping in what is his daily job. Oh, Rob, when do we worship? Sunday morning, right? 1045, I'll be there. David is worshiping on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in his menial task. He's, he doesn't have anybody to lead yet. He's not the king yet. He's leading a bunch of sheep. Ever feel like you're leading a bunch of sheep? <laughs> He's just leading a bunch of sheep. And God is transforming his life without him even showing up to the competition. Samuel goes down the row, Eliab. It's really interesting to me because in the very next chapter, 1 Samuel 17... David is bringing, like I said, some chipotle down to his brothers. A chapter before, he's been what? Anointed as king, the next king of Israel. Wow, where's my crown? No, not yet. Where's my cape? Can I get a sword or something? Can I get a javelin? (laughs) Can I get a lance? I'm the king. Back to the field. Because good things take time. God uses time to transform. So, he's still just bringing, he's just bringing food to the battle. He's not, he doesn't even get to fight. It's too little. The Bible doesn't even say, you can look this up, it doesn't say he's the youngest. It says he's the smallest. But God uses small things, amen? So he goes out to the battlefield. And this is really interesting because he was chosen as king over Samuel's first choice, which was who? Eliab, Right? David asked the men, 1 Samuel 17, 26, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him that what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? His own brother is saying, is not recognizing the transformation, right? His own brother is saying, oh, we know what you're good at. You're good for picking fleas off a sheep. (laughs) What are you doing here? Isn't it funny? We transform, we change in our lifetime, don't we? And sometimes it can even be a family member be the first one to say, this isn't who you really are. Well, stay in your lane. This isn't what you're really good at. You're down here talking trash to Goliath. None of us are even brave enough to face him. But here's the thing about David. Like I said before, his eyes weren't on the sides of Goliath. They were on God. Why? Because he already had a lion skin and a bear skin on the wall at home. 
he already had the testing of your faith worketh patience. He already had the test. He already had some victories. You know, church, sometimes all we need to stir up our faith is simply to remember what God has already brought us out of. Rob, things are so bad right now. Pastor Pete, things are so bad. Pray for this, pray for this. But if you look back five, ten years ago, I bet you wouldn't go back. I bet you wouldn't. Because God transforms over time. He uses little things. Here's another interesting little test you can do. When you go home, you turn on Netflix or YouTube, whatever you got going there. It's going to have a little bar probably that says recommended for you. Here, other, our, our viewers also liked this. Viewers of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles also liked Power Rangers. <laughs> Here's a suggestion for you. What does your YouTube suggestion look like? What does Netflix think you like to consume? Because what you're looking at is what you're looking like, right? My Netflix, when I turn it on, the first thing that comes up in that bar is a bunch of kids' shows because we, we try to get Phoenix to stop crying for five minutes every now and again, so we put on a kid's show. So Netflix just thinks I love, yeah, you know, Baby Shark and stuff like that. That's all right. My second point, point is worship transforms. Amen? God removed the veil. So we looked at 2 Corinthians 3 earlier, which was referencing Exodus 34, 29. Moses on Mount Sinai. He's meeting with the Lord. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. He was just kind of shiny. He had been in the tannin salon a little bit too long and he had to say, come back, come back, come back over here. No, it's me, it's me. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. One translation even says that radiant beams of light were shooting out of Moses' face when he descended with the Ten Commandments because he had been 40 days with the Lord in the presence of the Lord. The first thing that that spoke to me is that when you're in God's presence, your very countenance starts to change, right? Whoa, that guy looks kind of different now. He he talks kind of funny. He acts a little different now. The longer Moses was in the presence of God, the way he looked even changed. He went back and he put a veil on. The Bible is really a story of two Adams and two veils. And this is the first one, the one Moses is wearing right now. Pastor Pete, we sat around and we talked for a while. What does this veil mean? Why did he have to put on the veil? First thing we said, well, the other Israelites, they were afraid to even come near him, right? They were like, that looks foreign. That's different. Secondly, Pastor Pete, we started saying, maybe it's he was trying to keep the glory of God on his face. It also looked for a second like he was 
didn't want folks to know how long it had been since he was with God because as the days went by, the glory began to what? Fade. He began to look just like a normal man again. Flesh. Those that pursue the things of the flesh, the interests are in the flesh. Those that pursue the spirit are renewed by the spirit. His face was shining. He put the veil on. The most likely meaning is summarized very well in the ESV study Bible. It says, unlike the ministry of Moses, which was limited, impermanent, veiled, and lacking transformative power, Paul's new covenant ministry is characterized by an all-surpassing, permanent, unveiled, transformative glory that is mediated by the Spirit of the Lord. Moses had a remarkable encounter with the presence of God, but the new covenant believers, us, experience is even more astoundingly complete. I think of the second veil, the first veil Moses is wearing. But when he goes in the presence of the Lord, the veil comes off. Second veil, four inches thick around the Holy of Holies. Just a few chapters later that the Lord tells him exactly how to build. This is the one place on earth that the Spirit of God comes in contact with the natural, right? This one place, Holy of Holies, special priests can only go in one day a year. Anybody else goes in, they die. This is the one place Holy of Holies is. Matthew 27 talks about when the Lord, when Jesus on the cross died, he let out a loud groan. He said, it is finished. And that veil was what? Torn. And the Spirit of God left that place, covered the entire earth and every heart that would receive him. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that crazy how he was doing that all the way back in Exodus? Symbolically. Moses with the veil over his face. I just thought, that is so cool. And then the Holy of Holies, the veil is rent, and God left never to live exclusively in a house made by human hands. He lives in, in, in you and me. He lives in our hearts. That's why he judges the intents of the heart. God removed the separation of the veil when he put us in right standing with him through Jesus Christ. Sin made worship really lame. Um, if you've ever looked back in the Old Testament, you know they have to bring a goat in. Goat probably didn't want to come. They have to bring a stinky goat in, or a sheep, or what have you, and then they would kill it. Can you imagine if we still had to do that? That'd be awkward. I mean, that would not be fun. Like, Monday morning looks totally different for a church staff if you have to clean up goat, dead goat, <laughs> out of the pulpit. Not fun. Not cool. But Christ made worship complete when he removed the veil. Therefore, we come boldly to obtain mercy. When Phoenix comes into my room, she just pushes the door open. She don't even knock. Phoenix is my two-year-old daughter. <laughs> she comes toddling in. She doesn't even knock. Now, my electrician, that would be weird. My general contractor, that would be weird. My mailman, even friends. If I'm just sitting on the couch watching my recommended baby shows on Netflix and just a friend came busting in, if Brian Hull just came through the front door, weird. Odd. But Phoenix, she's my daughter. She's my heir. She can come in boldly whenever she wants to, right? 
at least for now. When she gets a little bigger, maybe that changes, but (laughs) God moved out of the Holy of Holies and into our hearts. My third point, my first point, remember, was what you're looking at is what you're looking like. My second point is God removed the veil. Now when we worship, we're going to have a bit of an elongated worship service here at the end. We're going to have the opportunity to take part of that. Just worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, presenting all of ourselves. My third point is PDA. (laughs) PDA. Pastor's like, where is this going? (laughs) Public display of affection. Have you ever been in public? you ever been in McDonald's and a couple... Maybe they're together. They embrace for like a little bit too long. <laughs> Especially during like COVID time, that would be awkward, no? That would be unusual. It's like, okay, this is like going on for a bit now. <laughs> but what if you were in, not a McDonald's, but say you're in an airport terminal. Terminal. <laughs> and one of them was wearing fatigues. And the other came running with tears. You don't know the full backstory, do we? Whenever we judge somebody in worship or in life. What if someone was in a hospital wing? Pastor Pete and all the staff, we got to sit and talk about this this week. Would you judge somebody in a, in a hospital wing? One of them is wearing scrubs or one of them is even in you know, a gown hooked up to an IV given a long embrace, would you say, ooh, yuck, <laughs> disgusting? No. You see more of this story. When you see someone down here on their knees or weeping or dancing before the Lord, you say, ooh, that's a bit much. <laughs> you don't know what that person's been forgiven of, what they've been brought out of, where they are in, at in that transformation that God's doing in them. Amen? We can also be judgy of people in worship whenever we say, they're not really doing enough. (laughs) God sees the heart. I remember another story. Before I get to it, I'm going to say something else. (laughs) What if someone had been ill for 12 years with an issue of blood and had the gall to reach out and touch just the hem of his garment. What if someone in our church was crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. And we're going, shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. Live stream's on. We're live in 11 countries. (laughs) What if a woman comes in and worships by washing washing Jesus' feet with her hair? What do the disciples do? Again, that's a bit much. What if she's of ill repute? but gives everything she has in worship. Who are we to judge? I think of another story where it's described a man, a Pharisee, looking up to heaven saying, thank God I'm forgiven. And I'm not like this guy over here. I'm not like this sinner. And this guy here, it says that his head was bowed. And all he can say in worship is, God, forgive me, a sinner. 
The Bible describes again David, we're talking about David again, the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem, returning. And David dances with all of his might. Have you ever danced with all of your might? Somebody put your hand in the air if you've danced with all of your might, even one time. <laughs> Think about, I mean, dancing though with like all of your might. All right, what does that even look like? That sounds like I'd probably pull something or tear something or dislocate something. The Bible describes David as dancing with all of his might. Again, a family member, someone close to him says, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of even the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Who said that? Remember? His own wife. The presence of God is coming in. Someone starts dancing. Someone starts doing something you're not comfortable with in worship or even in their life because something's being transformed and changed. And we go, wow, that was a bit much. My last point, <laughs> my third point was PDA. Public display of affection. And just to cap that off, whenever we worship here at Maple Valley Church, we're not pursuing necessarily everybody just dance with all of your might. Or everyone just sit quietly. And don't. We're pursuing freedom in worship, right? Freedom to do as God directs your own heart. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. For, uh, my fourth and final point is that God transforms and good things take time. Good things, I always tell my wife that good things take time and that's why I'm always late. She doesn't think it's as funny as you do, but... Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. My daughter, Phoenix, I'm using her a lot today. She's two, and she really likes yogurt. She can't say yogurt. She can only say og. Everybody say og. She can't say yogurt. But she knows morning time is daddy time. Mommy is pregnant and might have a little morning sickness so daddy's taking over in the morning and we're going to have og and as soon as she sees that high chair she knows it's og time baby it's happening so i put her in there the moment her diaper hits the seat she starts going og 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 daddy daddy og 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 she'll cry she'll literally cry I'm about to whip it up. It takes a second to get it out of the fridge and put it together. But she'll literally cry. Right, Jess? <laughs> Making me look like a liar. Huh? Aren't we that way with God sometimes? <laughs> Transformation takes time, but still we're saying, God, healing, healing, now, 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 God, now. God, please, God, now. God, no addiction, no more addiction. No, now, done, now, now, now. It took me 11 years to build this addiction, but I want it done now, now, now. God, my sister, she's still doing that thing. Oh, it's, it's so embarrassing. She's going to hurt herself. She's going to, God, now, now, fix it, fix it. 
Good things take time. Transformation takes time. We have to take some of the immediacy out of that word transformation. I grew up Pentecostal. A lot of what I grew up believing, just from what I was seeing, was you go down to the altar, boom, something changes. <laughs> Everything's different. Some of that's true. God does operate that way, but he also knows that lasting change generally takes time. We live in society of immediacy. We live in a right now society. Fast food, fast credit check, push button, get mortgage. We'll have your pizza to you in 30 minutes or it's free. You don't think that I have enough time? Like I can't see that far ahead. I'm going to be hungry in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> I can plan a pizza 90 minutes out, okay? <laughs> but we live in this society of like right now, right now, right now. But real lasting change takes time. They say that 70%, over 70% of folks who win the lottery are broke shortly thereafter. Many of them fall bankruptcy. Why? There's no actual education. There's no patience to actually learn principles of wealth, asset management. Just handed $12 million. And then it's gone. Lasting change, transformation that God does generally takes time. Are we going to be patient with him? Are we going to still keep listening to what he's telling us? Are we going to give up? Sometimes God moves slow. God grows weeds seemingly overnight. <laughs> but he takes decades to grow an oak tree. He takes decades to grow an oak tree. What is he growing in you this morning? The Bible says he's going to be faithful to complete that work. God doesn't just use love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He also uses struggle, turmoil, boredom, disillusionment. God, can you use this? Can you use this? What if transformation doesn't always feel like progress? You know, we all, I have this picture in my mind of transformation just looks like this, right? And now I'm up here and everything's perfect. <laughs> I did it. A lot of times it's like, take a left at Albuquerque. Think about Moses again. He had a very, very quick transformation when he was a baby in a basket. He goes from being a slave, child of a slave, to the highest level of society like that. He's picked up, becomes a prince of Egypt. Wow, Egypt. Slave child, boom, prince of Egypt. All of a sudden now he's getting that royalty nutrition. He's getting a royalty education. He's got royalty lacrosse team he has to make now. Royalty chess club he has to go to. <laughs> totally different. You all know the story. Kills an Egyptian. Gets banished. God takes him into the wilderness. And has to break off of him all of that stuff. That man put inside of him. God takes him to the wilderness and breaks him. Sometimes transformation doesn't always look like progress he's got royalty grammar 
Royalty Speech Club. He goes out 40 years in the wilderness, develops a stutter. (laughs) He develops a stutter so much so that God says, I want you to go and let my people go. Get them out of Egypt. And he says, have someone else do it. You know me, God. I've been stuttering. I can't even put two words together. (laughs) God doesn't use the things that we use. He uses the weak things, the small beginnings to confound. Amen? The healing at the pool of Bethesda, John 5. I'm wrapping up. Brian, if you want to come play something pretty, if you don't mind, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> like, yeah. I want us to have a chance to worship this morning. Just take time. and So I'm going to wrap it up. But the healing at the pool of Bethesda, John 5. The man had been waiting for 38 years for change, for transformation in his life. But God, this has broken my legs. I can't get to the pool in time. He's been waiting 38 years. What if he had only waited 37? What you're going through right now, I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm sure there's probably some of both. God is using it. Amen? God is using it. Will we be faithful to trust him? As Cindy said earlier, not only when everything's easy, not on every mountain only in the valley as well, in the wilderness. It wasn't the only time Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> he had over 80 years in the wilderness. God is not bound by time, but he uses it to produce mat- maturity within us. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the testing of your faith works patience. <laughs> Over 120 years ago, my great-granddaddy, also named Robert, who I'm named after, went to get the mail a mile away and didn't come back for two years. (laughs) He had joined the military. I got a picture of him. I think I do. You wake up there, Garen? There he is. This man, when he was 25 years old, he married my great-grandmother and quickly developed a drinking problem. <laughs> He's a young man. For every, every day off, I mean every, every day of work, he'd go home. and So much so his wife, uh, next picture please, thank you so much, Garen. His wife got worried, so she said, we've never been to church, I don't know anything about church. I think I better go to church. She eventually dragged her husband to church. He found himself at the altar. He knew the problems he was facing were bigger than him. Eight years later, he planted the first church in Freestone County, Texas. A few years after that, he gave birth to my granddaddy, this man right here. (laughs) Good-looking guy. The reason I'm wearing a suit today is because I got three generations before me that would want me to dress like this to be up here. (laughs) That's Billy Bob Hankins. He pastors the same church with this woman right here, my grandma. Look at her bringing the word. 
(laughs) For 50 years, they pastored the same church. Both passed away in the ministry. They gave that lady right there. She had two children and then she had a nervous breakdown. Her body stopped working right. Her brain stopped working right. She was bedridden for a long time. Went to the doctor, which they weren't accustomed to doing. The doctor said, you're going to die. There's nothing we can do for you. This is years ago. There still weren't a lot of things, changes in medical science that we have now. As she began to plead the blood, she said, I don't know what that means to plead the blood of Jesus, but I'm just pleading the blood. She lived and she gave birth to my mama. Named Faith. They named her Faith, my mama, who is also in the ministry. And now me. The transformation that was started in 1907 carries on today, continues today. What is, are your next generations going to look like? Your children and your children's children and their children. God uses time, great lengths of time to transform people, family trees, churches, cities, nations. Will we be faithful? Will we stay with them through the hard season? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, the cross, in view of God's mercy, there it is, to present yourself as a living sacrifice. This is worship. Amen? Thank you so much.